preaching through this summer the story of David, which is throughout First and Second Samuel. And you know, some of these, uh, you, you get around some preachers like T.D. Jakes and stuff, and these guys will preach like 45 minutes or an hour and a half on literally like one verse or half of a verse, and they'll just keep going back to it and be like, Jesus wept. And da, 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 Jesus wept. And it's like, golly, man, you got a whole lot out of that one tiny. We are doing the exact opposite of that. Each week we are going through like chapters of the story here. So you need to pay attention. Kevin sends out the daily emails where we'll have the readings. You can sign up for that on the website. And you can read along. Also, we'll have the chapters, you know, we'll reference them. This week we're going through chapters 20 and 20 through 22. And you can read, you know, and so I encourage you to do so. Like Avi said last week when he spoke on this, I had mentioned to him about like, hey, preaching on this chunk of scriptures. He's like, I just read them every day and it was really great. And I was sitting in the front row going, I've been doing the same thing and I've been having the same sort of experience. Because as Pastor Jeff likes to say, when you move at this speed, you leave a lot on the bone. Meaning like we're not going to be able to address every single thing that happens in these stories. And I also realized a lot of you guys are, we're all going on vacation and stuff. So some of us miss. So I'm actually going to really briefly catch everybody up, then talk through what we're going on today. But I'm going to give you the information so you can go back and read it yourself, all right? Because I also want Marianne to share something at the end. Does that sound all right? I'm going to do this really briefly because I want to get to what Marianne has to share because I'll explain. So update, week one, we were, we went through the background before the king. Whoa, that's not how that's supposed to work technology, man. Yeah, whatever. Try to click off, say clear all or something. It's embarrassing. All right, week one. We went through the background um, before the king, the Israel asking for a king, and then we also talked about David being anointed as king. And then last week, Avi talked about David and Goliath and that battle, and then also how Saul got jealous of David. And so we didn't get to cover a whole lot of that. See, what happens is, so David rises up and fights the Philistine, like everybody knows the story. David fights Goliath and everything. And then he starts to become, like, really popular, and everybody's like, man, this David guy is really awesome. Saul gets jealous. Saul tries to kill him, and then David's like, oh, I should run away. And then, like, and so this weird interaction happens over the next couple chapters where, David, where Saul's like, oh, I promise I won't kill you. And then an evil spirit enters him, and he tries to kill him again. And so David, like, leaves again. And then Saul's like, well, you know what? I'm going to have him marry my daughter because when our enemies find out that he's my son-in-law, they'll try to kill him even more in battle. And then it doesn't work because God's with him. And then he, like, fights battles and wins. And then he's like, well, all right, okay, I'm going to try when they, I'm going to have him marry my daughter. I'm going to tell him, all I need you to do is go kill 100 Philistines, and that'll be, like, your bridal price. Because, like, you know, David's poor. doesn't have the money, you know, to do. To the, so he's like, just do that. And he thinks, ah, he'll die doing that. So, like, why, why would I kill him? I'll just let the Philistines do it, you know. And then David goes and does it and comes back a hero. And he's like, oh, man. So everything Saul's doing to stop David is getting worse. And Saul's jealousy gets more and more. And then David has to run away from him because Saul keeps trying to kill him. So that's kind of where we find ourselves today. And I, I, I put that uh, this third week message, we're going through, like I said, a lot, First Samuel 20 through 22. And the main thing I want us to focus on kind of as a subject is that this is a weird time for David where he has an opportunity to doubt, I think. Because David starts to find himself, some of your Bibles might even say like David in the wilderness. Like David ends up in this weird spot where he's like a hero winning all these battles and people are really liking him. But he's having to like run for his life repeatedly because Saul keeps trying to kill him. And it's a very weird, and so this next interaction is a pretty dark time. And I, I want us to be thinking about, David is now entering into a wilderness place of sorts, and all, we enter and live through wilderness seasons as well. And so I want us to see, David has a lot of opportunity here <clears throat> to doubt God, and you'll see in the next couple of weeks, take matters into his own hands, you know. And you see how he kind of interacts with it. And I want us to maybe use 
David, um, the character of David, to kind of help mold our character, or maybe even step into the story as if, like, how would we handle this, you know? Because you see in a couple weeks, you know, David has a chance to take matters into his own hands, and I I might not have done it the first time, but I'm pretty sure I would have done it the second time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But uh, the... uh, Either way, David resists all this. So we want to look at wilderness because it's easy to trust God when things are going our way. And what about when they're not? And what about when the world is falling apart all around us? And what about when things don't seem to be working out? Because that's kind of where David finds himself all of a sudden. It's like, you know, this isn't working out like I thought it might, you know, or at least the order. So doubt could enter his mind. And, and when you look at doubt, yeah, so trusting God in the wilderness is our big idea for the day. And I look at doubt like being unsure of ourselves, being unsure of God, being unsure of the situation. But, you know, you can ask yourself, you know, is God surprised by this? You know, any sort of God worth worshiping, you know, Yahweh, king of the universe, is not surprised by things, you know. You know, I will just say all three of these questions are implied. The answer is no. So is God surprised by this? No. Does this change what God said? No. And do we believe this situation we're going through more than God? We should not. Because, you know, we we just gone through in First Samuel 16 how uh, God had said David would be the king of Israel. I was thinking about this. It's kind of the funny thing. I was just watching that Obi-Wan Kenobi show, or it's like the Star Wars prequel movie. Or whenever they do any of these, like, prequel movies, you kind of already know, like, well, he doesn't die because he's Darth Vader later. So, you know what I mean? Like, it takes away some of the tension because you're like, well, he has to survive somehow because he's going to, you know. So I think that in a good way, you, David could have, you know, and he might have thought like that. He's like, well, you know, this guy did come to me, you know, in like First Samuel 16. He says, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So either God was wrong, which it doesn't tend to be. That's a joke. And, uh, you know, or, you know, so David has this opportunity to doubt. And we look in this next set of uh, chapters, there's three or four main parts some of them I'm going to paraphrase. Some of them I'm going to read. We see David and Jonathan with arrows, that part. Then there's David at Nob, then David at Gath, and then Saul and the priest at Nob. And all of these offer in opportunities for David to doubt or at least to be concerned. The situation with David and arrows is Jonathan is Saul's son who takes liking to David. They become really close friends, very close, linked together. And he keeps trying to assure David, like, my dad won't kill you because he tells me about everything he's going to do. And David's like, I'm pretty sure he didn't tell you this, though, because he would not want you to know because he knows you like me and you would tell me. And they go, okay, here's what we're going to do. There's a feast you're supposed to be at. Or, you know, David says, there's a feast I'm supposed to be at um, tomorrow. I'm not going to go. I'm going to hide out here in the field. And then if if you tell him, if he says, hey, where's David? And you go, oh, he had to go back to his family to do a sacrifice. And he goes, okay, cool. That sounds like a good idea. Then we'll know we're good, and then I'll come. He's like, but if he goes, gets really mad, then we'll know that he would he was trying to kill me, and that's in fact what happens. But John, but they 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 try to figure out. They're like, how am I going to let you know this? Because if people see me talking to you, then you know the plot thickens. So they come up with this idea. Here's what I'll do: I'll go out and shoot some arrows like I'm trying to shoot at a target, and then um, I'll shoot some of them. Like if 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 it's safe, I'll shoot some and be like, and I'll send the guy out to go get them because I'll miss. You know, I'll miss, and I'll be like, oh look, no, they're closer in. It's fine. You can come back to get the arrows, but you'll, I'll be talking to you like it's fine to come back. Or if I shoot them too far and I go, no, 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 you need to go far, really a lot further away to get the arrows because, it's, you know. And so he, that's the situation they do. He sits down with Saul. Saul freaks out. 
And so he goes, okay, David's right, you know. And so he does the whole arrow thing. David gets the message, I need to get out of here. And they they secretly kind of meet up really quick just to, like, part ways. And just and they promise each other, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. And they make promises. David makes a vow to Jonathan that he won't even, you know, I won't ever hurt your descendants or anything. Like, they, they're like, we're cool, but your dad's crazy. So he's leaving. So it's his first moment to, um, and so David's not in a good situation. And you got to keep in mind, like, you know, David has been anointed king, which was odd because there's already a king. And then he gets into the situation last week with a giant, and he wins, which is cool. And then he kills off a whole lot of other people. So he's like, winning, awesome. And then now he's in the situation of, oh, man, like, I've got to run for my life. So we're starting to enter into a, uh, a place where things aren't going very well for David in a deep way. So now he's... He's running. So David, this is where we run into, David runs over to Nob. So and this is where you see 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. I'll just read this. David went to Nob, and Ahimelech the priest trembled when he met him and said, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me in a certain place. Now then, do you have anything on hand? Give, like, give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered, David, no, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that there had been removed from, the, from before the Lord and replaced by the hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. So David runs off, and he, and he tells a story that's not exactly true. I mean, he kind of bends the truth, because Saul did not send him on a mission in the most literal sense. You know, <laughs> he might have been, I was sent because I can't be around that guy, you know. But then he gets in an interesting situation where, the preachers, he's like, the only bread I got is the bread that was in the tabernacle here, you know, and, you know, that's really for the priest to eat. But he gives it to David and for his men. And this is an important moment because Jesus actually references this himself in Mark when, like, his disciples are eating on the Sabbath. Or, like, they're, they're getting, the, you know, and he's like, hey, guys, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Pharisees try to attack him, and he's like, no, guys, it's okay. Don't you remember David even did this? And so it's like, it's not something that would be, this would be an abnormal experience. So we're already entering into an abnormal they're being fed this priestly bread. There's a lot that could be going, going into this. Well, what we're, gonna, we're just going to move on for right now. But keep in mind that this Doeg the Edomite guy was there because they make this point. So David heads on uh, to Gath. And so now he's concerned that they know he's the guy that fought Goliath. And they're like, this guy, like, they're going to be afraid he shows up. So... He's like, if they find out I'm that David, they'll try to kill me. So I know what I'll do. I'll just act crazy or insane is what the Bible says. You know, and uh, so he acts insane, starts drooling all over himself and like clawing on the wall. And people are like, that's the David guy, like the Goliath killing David guy. And then they like bring him to the king. And the king, is, <laughs> the king says this in verse 14, he, uh, uh, the king of Kish, he says, he said to his servants, Look at that. Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? And I love this. Am I so short of madmen that you bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? So <laughs> I kind of like that. Like, like, I need another crazy guy, you know. 
must this man come into my house? And so David gets away with it. But again, it's kind of like by, you know, it's not by being a great victor. Now he has to act crazy to get away from people. So in order to like, I, fight, I feel like I was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And now he's like the crazy guy drooling on his beard and clawing the door. And the king's like, I can't even, I can't even deal with this, you know. <sighs> so David, again, not, a, not winning or not like, you know, not killing it, right? But then we get into this last part, and this is the part that I, this is where I think it really starts to get, like, so David's, do, David is doing what he's got to do to get by right now, right? So, I mean, like, you know, no harm, whatever, you know, he gives him the bread. The bread is good. He also gives him Goliath's sword, because David doesn't even have a sword, you know. Then David goes off, and then he goes to Gath, and then he has to act crazy to not get killed, but then, you know, and then he goes on again, and so he's kind of on the run, but he's doing what he's got to do to get by. But then Saul hears about it, because one of Saul's men, Doeg the Edomite, saw David in Nob. And I heard an old joke by another preacher that he said, the Edomite is just Hebrew for the bounty hunter. So, it's, But I have a photo. But this is about 10 years. It's a dad joke from about, it's about 10 years too old, but I, I couldn't resist. So he's like Doeg the bounty hunter. So you can leave that up for as long as you want. No, I'm just kidding. No, but he tells Saul, hey, I, I, know, I, know, I know where your boy is. I saw him. And so he rats out David. And so, da- so Saul shows up with his, you know, army to, to the priest because he's like, hey, man, you know, <laughs> why did you do this? So this is what he says in verse 13 in ver- chapter 22. Saul is saying to the priest, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. And Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? He's like, what do you expect me to do? This is like a good guy. And he showed up. He goes, was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? No, of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. Because David didn't tell him. He told him, I'm on a secret mission from Saul, right? He didn't say, I'm running for my life because he's trying to kill me. He said, I'm on a secret mission, and no one needs to know about it. But I need help. And so he puts this guy, the priest, in a really bad spot. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And listen to this. The king ordered the guards at his side, turn and, listen to this, the kind of craziest... Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. So they know this is wrong. You know, they're like, this guy did not know what was going on. David kind of tricked him a little bit, and there's no, like, but Saul is enraged with this evil spirit, and he's like, kill all of these people. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that, which is pretty intense rebellion in one sense. But they know it's evil. They know it's wrong, and they're not going to do it. So he asks Doeg, the bounty hunter, to do it, and he does. He kills all of them. And, um, but one son of Ahimelech, the son, Ahit- son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and told David everything that had happened. And David grieves. So here it is. He said, he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible 
for the death of your whole family. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. And that's where our chapter ends this week. And this is what I think about David in this moment, is that he knows it's his fault that this whole thing happened. This guy, all these priests get killed and all of their kids and their family, and it's his fault. So he's like, I kind of did this. It preserved my own life. There's a lot of weight that comes with that sort of thing. I'm not going to say any of it was wrong. Saul is the one that's wrong in this situation. But when you're someone like David who's come from this victorious moment, this victorious place, and now you're entered into this place where what you have done has caused this kind of great suffering for people, that's a good, ch- that's a good opportunity for doubt. Okay, I didn't say he was doubting the Lord necessarily. I'm just saying it's an opportunity for doubt because David finds himself in the wilderness. And this is where um, I want to invite Marianne up here because we experienced something because Jesus also was tempted in the wilderness. And I want to talk about that. But what happened was Marianne reached out to me and I felt in kind of a spiritual confluence. You know, this is this word confluence where like several rivers come together. I have a diagram that you can show where when rivers flow together, that spot where they come together would be like the confluence where they're flowing together. So several things happened that all of a sudden I heard in my mind, I was like, you know, this is several things all happening at once. Go to the next slide. I I wrote them down. That We've been reading books on revival and inner healing. The book from last month was on inner healing and understanding the truth and who we are before God and that kind of thing. We've also been praying for revival. We prayed. We had a 24-hour prayer thing on Pentecost and all this kind of stuff. And then we've been Focusing on the story of David, and just this week we're entering into the wilderness and this opportunity for doubt. And then Marianne called me um, with a dream she had, and a Bible said it led her on kind of a deep dive Bible study about strong men and Jesus binding the strong man and the work that he did um, in the wilderness. And I wanted her to come share that because I said this is something that we need to share right now because I think it's the the timing of God to do so. So I'm going to step aside and let her share this, and then we want to pray at the end that God would do this in our lives. Good morning. I wasn't exactly sure what Brian's message would be, so I wasn't exactly sure how I would begin to connect my message to his, but now I have the connection because David finds himself in the wilderness and there is a great opportunity to doubt. Um, Sometimes the Lord speaks to me in... uh, kind of an interesting way, and maybe he speaks to some of you in this same way. Sometimes when I'm first waking up in the morning, I have kind of a dream, kind of a vision. I'm not exactly sure what to call it, but it's very short. It's very clear, and I usually understand it and remember it completely. So just about two weeks ago, I had that experience. Um, And here's what happened in this dream. I was in a hotel room with a female friend, and we were just inside the door just a little bit, just standing there. We didn't have any luggage or any belongings or anything with us, just the two of us in the room. And the door opened, and these two great big strong men came in. You know these guys that work out so much they can't put their arms down, they're big like this, (laughs) like Brian? (laughs) Those kind of guys came in the door. And I... I don't remember if they both had bags, but the one who was closest to me had like a little gym bag, like those little old-fashioned kind of half-circle gym bags. And it was so little, I remember thinking, he can't put his shoes in there. Like, what does he have in that bag? That's the dream. 
And um, we looked at the guys, and I realized this is their room. We're in their room. They have a right to be here. We don't have a right to be here. And then my friend and I just went to the, towards those strong men and pushed the door towards them and pushed them out the door. And when the door shut, I heard a voice say to me, you didn't bind the strong man. And then I woke up. So this quick picture in my head and the words, you didn't bind the strong man. Well, I've heard about binding the strong man for decades, and I've prayed prayers, binding prayers for decades. But this, this was very significant to me, and I wanted to understand more about what it means to bind the strong man. I knew the Lord was speaking to me about a specific situation in my family that matters to me very deeply that I've prayed about for a really long time. So it wasn't just a dream or a word that I was going to forget and walk away from. I had to pursue it. So there's this uh, theologian named Craig Keener. He is a preeminent theologian in New Testament, and he happens to be uh, a professor at Asbury uh, Seminary, where Pastor Jeff attended seminary. And for the last couple years, I keep coming across his teachings, and I really, really like him. I think he's very sound. What I love about him is he's, he is so academic. He's so solid in the word, so clear in his theology, and he completely loves the prophetic, loves the spiritual gifts, and honors them. So that's like, yes, that's a win-win for me. So I wanted to see what Craig Keener had to say about um, binding the strong man. And I found a couple of YouTube videos of him speaking on Matthew 12 and Mark 3. Those are the places in Scripture where Jesus talks about binding the strong man. Now, I'm not going to look at that passage completely with you, but you can write this down if you want to look at it later. I'm referring to Matthew 12, verses 22 to 30. Um, in this time, yeah, you can look at this, but I'm not going to read them all. Um, Jesus is casting out demons, and he casts out this deaf and dumb demon from a man. And the people are saying, wow, like, this is amazing. Is he the son of David? You know, what they're really asking is, is he the Messiah? Is he the one we've been waiting for? And the Pharisees are like, no way. This guy's casting out demons by Beelzebub. And you're probably familiar with the scripture because Jesus responds. You know, if I were casting out demons by Beelzebub, what you're talking about is Satan casting out demons by Satan. I would be dividing my own kingdom, destroying my own kingdom, if I were casting out demons by Satan. And then he says, if Satan casts out Satan, the kingdom is divided and will fall. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come near you. Or what he's actually saying is the kingdom of God is right here. This is God, what you're seeing. This is God. And then he says, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? So Keener says we hear this phrase, this binding phrase in prayer a lot, but we don't really have a lot of biblical reference to it. 
And he says, Jesus is probably making uh, a connection with an Old Testament scripture. And you can put that one up, Isaiah 49. And Keener even says it's very likely they weren't even catching Jesus' reference here. But he's referring to Isaiah 49, verses 24 and 25. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of the righteous be delivered? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. This is part of a bigger passage in the chapter, in Isaiah chapter 49, where God is promising the Israelites, I'll deal with a strong man, and I will set your people free. This passage really spoke to me because it's a passage, passage that the Lord has spoken to me himself on a number of occasions, and I've held on to it, and I've prayed into it. And so Keter really had my attention. And then he reminds us that John the Baptist said to Jesus, said of Jesus, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. Jesus is the mighty one who is stronger than the strong man. This is what we see in the Gospel of Mark. And you can put this one up, Mark 5, 1 through 10, and then verse 15. I kind of had this thing with Brian when he asked me for my scriptures. I was like not sure which ones I was going to use, so I'm not exactly sure what's on this slide. (laughs) But Mark 5, 1 through 10, and verse 15. I want to read this. Then they came to the other side of the sea. This is Jesus and his disciples. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always, day and night, He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? You see, even the demons inside this man could look at Jesus and say, He is the Son of God. The Pharisees were saying, He's the devil. You know, the people were wondering, is he the son of God? The people are saying, he's the devil. And the demons are saying, he is the son of God. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. Now, if you're familiar at all with the New Testament, you know this story. The demons begged that they wouldn't just be cast out of the man, but they would be cast into these pigs that were nearby. And Jesus said, okay. So he cast the demons into the pigs. The pigs go crazy. They run down the the hill and end up in the sea. The owners of the pigs weren't too happy about this situation. So they came to Jesus. This is verse 15. And they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion 
sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And that was the right response, because Jesus is the one who is mightier than anyone else who is able to bind the strong man. Nobody else could bind the strong man with a legion of demons, but Jesus is strong enough to deliver him from the strong man who is binding him. And by plundering Satan's possessions, you see, this is what Jesus was doing. Because when you bind the strong man, then you can go into his house and you can take his stuff. And this poor man who was demonized by a legion of demons, he was the strong man's stuff. He was in the strong man's house and he was possessed or owned. I don't want to talk about demon possession, but he was owned. He belonged to the strong man. But if the strong man could be bound then Jesus could go in and take the strong man's possessions. And he is liberating people who are bound and bringing them into God's kingdom. So Keener goes on. Keener is this um, theologian that I was listening to. He goes on to say, when did Jesus bind the strong man? Because we don't see that in this scene. We just see him going in and plundering the strong man's house. But when did he bind the strong man? And Keener says he bound the strong man when he was tempted in the wilderness. Now, does this sound familiar? Because this is, this is my segue into Pastor Brian's message, that when we're in the wilderness, we have an opportunity to doubt. And we also have an opportunity to trust God. The wilderness is the place of doubting or trusting. And we all go there. And we all go there more than once. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't been there lately, you will eventually go there again. But Every time you choose to not doubt and to trust, you gain strength in your spirit. Looking at the wilderness um, uh, passage, I'm not going to to read this whole passage either, but if you want to look at it later, it's Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. You see, we're seeing this theme that has to do with the identity of Jesus. Is this the Son of God? No, this isn't the Son of God. This is is a devil. But even the demons say, Son of God. What does the devil decide to tempt Jesus with in the wilderness? If you are the Son of God. So it's like the devil saying to Jesus, prove it. You're the Son of God? Prove it. Prove to me who God says you are. And there were three specific temptations that followed. And in each one, Jesus had to trust the Father for his true identity as son. And I won't go into all of that. That could be a whole teaching on its own, but we want to be brief here. But Jesus looks at the scriptures for his answer. And he, he, um, he goes specifically to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8. I don't have a slide for this. And you can look at this yourself too. It's a powerful, beautiful passage where Jesus tell, where God tells the Israelites, this is what it means for you to follow me and obey me and be my people. 
So when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, being challenged about his identity, he looks back to the Torah, to the book of Deuteronomy, and he remembers the testing that the Israelites had in the wilderness, and he answers the devil out of those passages of Scripture. And every single one of them goes back to trusting in God, not proving who he is, but trusting in who God is. And when Jesus has answered all these questions, he says to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Many times when we are in the wilderness, the enemy wants to cast doubt on who we are and who God is. And a lot of times he can, he can catch us with that. He can get a hook in us because we don't really know who we are and we don't really know who God is. And when we try to give any kind of explanation or answer other than the truth, about who God is and who God says I am, the enemy can get a hook in us. So the temptation of Jesus comes in chapter 4 of Matthew, but right before that, in chapter 3 of Matthew, Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and a loud voice says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So who did God say that Jesus was? This is my son. He said it out loud for everybody to hear. This is my son. So in chapter 4, immediately after this powerful baptism experience and this declaration that Jesus is the son of God, the spirit leads him into the wilderness. Some, some versions say the spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil. If you are the son of God, prove it. Now, at this point, Jesus has not entered into his public ministry. But before he is able to enter his ministry of, we got this last week from Pastor Avi in Isaiah 61, his ministry of preaching, healing, and deliverance, he has to face and overcome his own temptations. He has to bind the strong man in his own life in the wilderness before he can bind the strong man in the lives of others. Now, if this is true of Jesus, who never sinned, he was tempted, but he didn't sin. We who are tempted and do sin, how much more do we need to bind the strong man in our own lives? How much more is this true for us? My point this morning is that Jesus had to bind the strong man in a personal way before he could bind the strong man in a public way. If it's true for Jesus, it's true for me. So I wanted to check one more place about binding the strong man. Um, a, a, a teacher that I have loved and respected for many, many years, Derek Prince. He's kind of an expert on spiritual warfare. So I found a little, um, a little clip, and you can just, I don't know, did you make a title? Yeah, just the title of this in case you want to look this on YouTube. I found a, a, a clip that's called Binding the Strong Man in Your Situation. It's a little short eight-minute clip that's part of a longer teaching called Casting Down Strongholds. But Derek Prince says there's a spiritual principle. First, you bind the strong man. That means you tie him up, you put a gag in his mouth, 
and then you're able to set the captives free. He says, start where you are. In other words, start with your own life before you start trying to bind the strong man in other people's lives. And he gives an example. He says it was the day before Christmas, and he was pondering over his very large family coming together the next day, and he began to think, you know, there's always a little bit of tension when we're together. There's always some pressure at our family gatherings that I, I don't completely understand it. I don't know what it's all about. And so he just asked the Lord, show me what is behind the tension. And he said this, as he prayed, like this gray mist came into the room and just hung just a little bit below the ceiling. And he's like, Lord, what is that? And the Lord said, that's self-righteousness. So he started to think about it. And um, like all good husbands, his first thought was, I can see that my wife has a problem with (laughs) self-righteousness. But then he said, and I was aware that I had a problem with self-righteousness too. Now, he explained that parents in a family are supposed to be like a spiritual umbrella protecting the family. But if there's a hole in the umbrella, things get in. Now, at this point, when I'm thinking, how does this apply to my life and my situation? What's the strong man that I need to bind for me and my family? I could start feeling really guilty, like it's all my fault. I did something wrong. I'm bad. It's not like that at all. Derek just simply repented. When the Lord showed him the problem is self-righteousness, he said, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry that I've entertained self-righteousness in my life. I ask you to forgive me. And he renounced it. And then he said, God, let that power of self-righteousness over our family be broken in the name of Jesus. It was simple. It wasn't a lot of tears and regret and mulling it over. He just did what we're supposed to do. Confess your sins, and he will be faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then you're clean again. So the next day when his family came together, things were different. So what's my point this morning? This is my point. We're all called to do the same ministry that Jesus did, to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. He hasn't really changed the job description in 2,000 years. But if we're called to do the same things that Jesus did in public, We're also called to do the same things that Jesus did in private. If we want to be able to bind the strong man in the lives of our loved ones, in the lives of those here in our community, those who come to us for prayer and those who have need, that we must first be willing to encounter him in the wilderness places of our own lives. All right, so y'all are y'all are picking up on the confluence now, right? Okay. <clears throat> so here's what I want to do, um, Kayla. I want just you to come up here and play some sweet nothings in the background. Um. So here's what I think. Um. For the sake of the truth of this, and what I was meaning about believing God to actually change something. Remember, I said that about that book, like this revival book. You know, this isn't just an eye-opening moment where you go, oh, yeah, now I feel different because I realize something. This is actually a change. Like, something in your life is different now because of something 
Jesus is doing, okay? I want everyone today to be prayed for, okay? You don't have to. I'm not going to make you, but I would like everyone to be prayed for, okay? I want. I asked on the, any of the elders, this would be a good time, Pastor Kevin, um, any of the elders that are here, some people are on vacation and things, um, to come up to the front. And I want to close where Kayla's just going to play some, she might sing, she's just going to play something. We're going to be down here, we're going to pray for each other. And I've asked them to pray this. So just lying across the front of the stage here, just everyone. And I've given them a prayer because in I spent a lot of times at the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, and there was a way that everybody prayed, which was just to ask for more of the Lord in people's lives. I know as she was speaking, parts of it were coming alive to you like, oh, my gosh, that's me, or oh, my gosh, that's exactly what I'm going through, or oh, my gosh, I've been in this wilderness. Now I'm seeing what's going on, or oh, my gosh, there's other people going through the same thing I am, or oh, my gosh, we're all going through, you know, this kind of thing. But God wants to encourage us because Jesus has bound the strong man. And he's, he was kind of wanting us to ask for that. So what we're going to do is I you come up to anybody that's standing up here, and I'm just asking them to pray more, Lord, and let God do his business in your life. So we're saying more, Lord, more, Lord, and then we'll let him do what he does, okay? If you need more prayer for more specific things, you can ask for that, you know, that kind of thing. But we're at, this is what we want to do together because everybody needs more Lord, <laughs> all right? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to close, and I want to ask you to come forward to receive prayer, and then we'll, maybe we'll pray for each other or something too, you know. <laughs> we don't want anyone left out. So, Father, we pray that you would bind the strong men in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. God, I pray for real and definitive changes in our hearts. I do pray that demons would be silenced in people's lives and in families. We pray that the enemy would lose ground today. You said you you destroy the works of the devil. And I pray that you would do this in this time, in this church, in this place, and in our families, simply through this prayer, more Lord. We ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for those that are with us online as we separate, that you would give them more of your spirit, more of your glory, more of your power in their lives. There would be more Lord with them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So come forward to be prayed for.